another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside John Tesh. Our guest this week on the show is Guy Raz, author of the new book, How I Built This, which is a collection of his interviews and the lessons that he's learned from CEOs and founders of world-changing companies and organizations. Very exciting. John, thank you so much uh, for, for you know joining me today. I appreciate that. <laughs> my, it's, it's my pleasure. I've, I've missed you on this show. You interviewing Guy Raz is like me interviewing Rick Wakeman from uh, the group. Yes. It's 100% yeah. true. Yeah. I am yeah. so unbelievably pumped uh, to, about this interview right now. Uh, it, he, I'm a huge fan of his for a number of reasons, which which I get into very very specifically. Well, it's 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 just, it's it's very close, at least for for you personally. I know you have great respect for him, but for your children, it's like you're interviewing Rafi. You I know, mean, the, uh, or, or Elmo. It <laughs> is it is such a huge deal. A guy, guy Raz is is a known name. It is a household name in my household. He is he is very well known, and and uh, because he does Wow in the World, which is a kids science podcast that my kids absolutely adore, which is fantastic. Fantastic. Real fast, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, some uh, some uh, uh, little pieces of intelligence that you guys can can share with your friends, the, the usual intelligence for life, and then the interview with Guy Raz. And I'm going to talk to John a little bit more. But here is a quick word from our sponsors, uh, Quicken Loans, or uh, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans, uh, as, as well as others. Once again, want to say thank you to Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans for making today possible. Uh, but yeah, so very excited to share Guy Raz with 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 all of you because again, you know, this is uh, I, I, you say Rick Wakeman. I don't even know if Rick Wakeman covers it about how much because because I get so many points in my house for having for having talked to him. That's the that's the real killer for me. You yeah, know? there are no points in my house for uh, with, yeah. with with all due respect for for me bringing up Rick. What what is it? Okay, <laughs> can you sweep out the garage? Yeah. Uh, so I, I get a lot of extra thing, uh, a lot of extra stuff. Here we go with some some quick uh, piece of intelligence for you guys to take with you. Dog owners in Germany may be soon legally obligated to walk their dogs for an hour a day. It's called the Dogs Act. It's to ensure people take their dogs for substantial walks rather than short trips around the neighborhood. Now I'm bringing this up because you. Uh, you have a lot of experience when it comes to dog laws. Uh, it's, 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 uh, th- th- there's a good reason for this. This law is because people aren't taking their dogs for enough exercise. Not good for the dogs. I absolutely understand it. But uh, New York, when you were a reporter in New York, they made sure that everybody had to take their dogs out, uh, clean up their, their poop. And you covered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the pooper scooper law? And as a matter of fact, it's funny because you, there were some interviews with with. Uh, I I ended up in 1976, uh, uh, in my early 20s, living on West 81st Street in in New York. And at the same year, uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld moved in. I didn't know who he was, but until I started going to Cash Rising Star. Uh, but uh, and the comic strip or something. Anyway, he we both lived in the same street, and he used to take the the bus across street uh, across town to to go to work. And it, it was one of those streets where there were a lot of dogs, and so when it got really hot, like it like it is at the moment we're doing this recording, um, it it was it was a terrible smell. And it just got to the point where it was really in 1976. It was really a bad, a bad scene in New York. It, the city just smelled terrible. Mm-hmm. So they passed this uh, local uh, pooper scooper law where you had to pick up. That was the first time in New York, anyway. You had to pick up after your animal. And so I had just come there, and I was a I was a young reporter in the same newsroom as you know as the as the heavy hitters like Brian. Uh, Brian Williams and and uh, Bill O'Reilly and and Meredith Vieira 
and all this guy. So I was a, I, so they sent me out on the to on the first day of the Pooper Scooper Law to, uh, with a one way van to to uh, to bust people who weren't picking up after their dogs. So we would we'd be in the van with the camera shooting through a one way mirror, and when somebody would you know, and and the dog owner always has that look on his face like you know is anybody going to see me? And they wouldn't pick <laughs> up because you because we did there, you, had, you had to use like your own your your own materials. There weren't like you know those those inside out bags that they have right. now, and there wasn't like right. a stick with a, with a hand on the end of it. You know, it wasn't yeah. that those hadn't been invented yet. You know, right. and so that whole day I spent you know uh, and, and the, the the problem was I didn't know what the cameraman was shooting, so he was shooting <laughs> the cameraman was shooting tight shots of I know you love this story. I love this story the, the, so much. Yeah, the cameraman. If you've ever seen you know when when somebody curses on TV these days and they put a black box over their mouth, mm-hmm. it's very easy for them to do that because it's so because it's digital editing. But back in the day, um, what happened was the, my cameraman Dennis Drennan, He he was shooting B roll. Right, everybody knows what that is now. And it was it was it was tight shots of the dog's butt, basically, you know, <laughs> and doing his business. And, and so we got into the edit room, and the editor's like, uh, you know, in his new York accent with a cigarette hanging out. I goes, I can't put this on television. <laughs> so we spent like two hours, you know, making like cutting it out with with scissors, like a black box, and then shooting it with a camera, and then superimposing it so that I could do the I could, I could do the story. So th- that's a long way of saying that now Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Since you have to walk your dogs for, I, I, I for just, an hour a day. I yeah. want to see. I mean, obviously, they won't get this. There's no German reporter. There's no German version of John Tesh, which I think you might have some German in you anyway. So the, yeah. there's, no, uh, there's no John Tesh uh, there right now who, who's going to have to do the, what, you, what you did. But I do love whenever they have these, these new laws, particularly about pets, the, the news stories that come out, much like yours, I find very interesting. So if you're in Germany, you got to take your dog for a walk. One last thing. Uh, yeah, but I, do about- ha- I do have to say real quickly, because I want you to get to Guy Ross. I have to say that, that when I read this, I'm in a different frame of mind now than I was, you know, in 1976. You know, this uh-huh. pooper scooper scoop, law was to protect the city, not to protect the dog, you know, because right. the city was going to hell. Uh, or it's going to smell. <laughs> and um, but but this this stuff where, you know, I, I think it's great to, to have all these laws. But but. But boy, do we have a lot of laws right now. We we really do, and and uh, sometimes Germany doesn't do so well with these kinds of laws. Yeah, uh, so, so yes, yeah, so let's just wish them luck, and we'll see what yeah, happens. Because uh, if you're a, if you're a smart person, you're going to know that you got to walk your dog every day. Right, but I also I don't want to see these dogs get you know you get a sporting breed and it's stuck inside for for you know 18 hours a day. You barely take it outside. That's that's not that's not good for anybody. Real fast. Yeah, I hear you. Last week we talked about. Uh, I talked about uh, this new thing. They, you know, they they have a ton of milk. They've got you've got the regular old cow's milk. You've got goat's milk, but now they've got oat and almond and cashew, uh, all kinds of different milks, quote unquote. I put them in quotes. But there's a new one uh, called banana milk, and th- that I've tried, and I, and I know that you've tried it now too. And so uh, I wanted to get your hot take on the on the concept of banana milk. The funny thing is, I I didn't know. Somebody sent me banana wave milk, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I didn't know that it was like a sample. I just, I thought it was one of those things where, <laughs> where Amazon, you know, because sometimes Amazon yeah. sends you stuff that you didn't order, or you don't right? remember so ordering it I'm for whatever such reason. An, I'm such an idiot, you know. Um, uh, you know, and our, our friend sent us this, you know, and 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 so. Uh, I'm like, well, this is obviously free milk for me, <laughs> you know. You know I and I don't drink. I don't drink milk. 
I don't drink milk and I don't drink soy milk because somebody told me that I was going to be a girl. Uh, I don't know what that is. But anyway, uh, that's why that's not why there's soy a, milk. <laughs> wait, <laughs> I have to say not that. that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, okay. but phytoesterides so, uh, and soy milk can be really dangerous for, for men and for women. Yeah. Just FYI, yeah. I, you know it's it's we back in the day on the news we used to before we said anything about anybody we have to say allegedly. Yeah. Now if you say something even about milk, you have to say not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> I'm start that tweeting. Allegedly, but I love the banana wheat because I love. Oh, there we go. So the, what I love about this is 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 the nutrition facts mm-hmm. on the side. Yes. Which is really amazing. And because of the banana, you know, I, I, I do know because of all the stuff that we do on the air, Gib, that, you know, how important, you know, things like potassium, you know, yes. for, for, for heart health and, and vitamin A for your skin. Um, and also vitamin B12. I've been taking vitamin B12 um, uh, supplements yep. just because I, I sort of run down at about three or four o'clock in, I in the, the afternoon. Thing. So, so this is, you know, I was been watching this show called, uh, that you turned me on to, I guess. No, yeah, no, no uh, Prima, Prima did, turned you on alone. Called, called alone where the people are out in the wilderness for like a hundred days, whatever. Right. And I'm thinking, and they're all starving to death. Right. And I'm thinking if they just had banana wave milk. Oh yeah. You know, well you uh, were on the, you were on the no milk kick for a very long time. You used to yes. get a lot of, you used to talk about this in interviews and people would tell you you were crazy. You used to put water in your cereal. Yeah, Seinfeld did a thing about it, about how 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 nuts I was because I, I put uh, yeah water in this year. But this is yeah, um, this is great because yeah. first of all, I know how great bananas are, and it's also it's also one of those things where you know, there's so many people who, like you said, who 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 can't drink milk. Yep. And the, and the fact that it's um, uh, you know it's 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 also um, not you know non GMO. Which, yeah. which I love. Yeah. And I looked it up, right? So if th- this, this milk won the- Of course you looked it up, by the way. This, this milk, this milk, the banana milk, the banana wave, it won the BevStar Award. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I think, yeah, I, I, I would love to win that award if I could just, you, you know. You got to make a beverage. That's yeah, the, yeah. That's, Bev, uh, that's the Bev of BevStar. You got to make a beverage so, in order to win so that award. So plant-based, fat-free, vegan, low-calorie, gluten-free, and, and also- for our our Jewish friends, it's kosher. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope that they, if it's vegan, it's it's got to be kosher, right? I, I no, but yeah, because and, and, and it's well great. Enough. I'm very I'm very concerned about the whole kosher thing too, because you know I went to Israel, as you know, yeah, for for ten days not long ago, and the most fa- fascinating thing to me, other than all the all of the 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 kosher food, was that they have a Shabbat elevator. Have you heard about that? No, is it one that does less work or that you don't have to press the buttons for? Or no, something? it stops. It's yeah, you don't have to press the button. It stops. It's only one elevator in a bank of like three or four elevators. And on Friday, right at sunset, mm-hmm. it stops at every floor. So you just get so, on it. So and you, yeah, no, you don't have to. Anything. You don't have. You don't have to operate a piece of, of equipment. So technically, yeah, there you go. That is uh, that is fascinating. So, I did not know yeah. they had Shabbat elevators. <laughs> yeah, so and, and I know how excited you are about the fact that I connected uh, Shabbat to Banana Wave. But I, I mean, the fact that we got to elevator technology from banana milk <laughs> is to me. Just it's indicative of the amount of time you've been doing intelligence for your life and your ability to make connections from different things. Uh, But yeah, speaking of intelligence for your life, here we go. Here is my interview with Guy Raz, uh, the author of How I Built This. I'm very excited to present this to you. Guy Raz, uh, you are. There's so many shows that you have hosted. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. But most importantly right now, you are the uh, host and author of How I Built This, but you used to do the TED Radio Hour, which you've passed off but still produced. But most importantly in my life, you, uh, you, are one of the, you were the, one of the co-hosts and producers on Wow in the World. 
which is a kid science podcast that is very, very popular in my life. So uh, thank you so much for making the time for us today. Uh, my pleasure. I love um, I love when I meet people, particularly who love Wow in the World, my kids show, because uh, it's a labor of love. It's a total passion project. It's so fun. I love it. Um, and I love that kids get excited about science and we're that's the whole point of the show and it's supposed to be like so like the science is sort of hidden in the show yep but it's um it's just designed to make people like super excited and pumped about it so so thank you for listening with your kids and it really it really works for for high i mean for my kids like science anyway but it gets them very they, they went to one of your live shows I'm, I'm sorry i'm geeking out so much but they went to one of the live shows and saw the whole thing and it's just if you if you have kids and you're listening right now this is this is the premier. This is the best science podcast you could be listening to with your kids. Uh, it gets them super uh, excited. Did you go to the live show in New York? Uh, Los Angeles, and I actually didn't get to go. Uh, we didn't have enough tickets oh, for me to go, uh, so I didn't go. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, man, that was at the Ace Theater in L.A. That was such a fun show. Next time, you let me know, and we'll make sure that you can go. I'm going to hold you to that, because yeah. I will be the coolest yep. person in my house if I can get us to go see WoW in the World again. But it, I mean, honestly, for anybody that you, you have to do it, it it's, um, it is an extreme... And, and you're, the character that they put you in in that show is so funny, like, <laughs> with, in contrast with, with Mindy. It's me. <laughs> it's me. It's really... It's, and by the way, I've known Mindy for set, for eight years. She's a very good friend of mine. Mindy is my co-host on the show, Mindy Thomas, um, and she kind of plays um, just an adventurous and kind of risk-taking character, Who and I'm very sort of cautious and careful. We are both um, exaggerated versions of ourselves. So right. so we are, I mean, there's a lot of truth to the way we, are portray, we portray ourselves in that show. Does she say your name like that all the time? Guy Ross! Like, she calls me that since the day we met. I, I kid you not. People always ask, why does Mindy call you Guy Raz in the show? And why don't you call her Mindy Thomas? And <laughs> she has always called me that. She thinks it's very strange that I have only one syllable in my name <laughs> and only two syllables in my whole name. So she is from the beginning. That is what she calls me. She has never called me Guy. Only Guy Raz. That's amazing. I am I am literally smiling ear to ear. For this. We are not here to talk about Wow in the World, which I will put, by the way, I will put a link in the show notes to Wow in the World for anybody that anybody that enjoys good storytelling wrapped around uh, little scientific tidbits from, you know, I think you guys did like glow worms and uh, you guys have done uh, bird navigation for migration. You guys have done some amazing yeah. topics. It's fantastic. So I'll put a link to that. But Thank we are you. here to talk about how I built this. Which uh, is a podcast and now a book, uh, where you interview where you interview CEOs and founders of different organizations and companies, and you try to glean patterns out of that. You try to get get their stories and hopefully in a way that that moves people forward. I'm assuming that 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 way they can take the lessons that have been learned by these amazing founders and then move themselves forward. Is, is uh, one is that an accurate portrayal of the of the show? And two, how did you come across this as as a way to get started? Yeah, I mean, How I Built This is really a show about human stories. It's, it's, a, it's a show about a hero's journey, you know, like Star Wars or, or, or the Odyssey, except it's told through the prism of the founder of a business. So it's not the story of major corporations. I mean, some of the companies we profile, of course, have become huge, like Airbnb and Instagram and Starbucks. But it's the story of the person 
um, a key person who really built the company up. So it's a single narrative. I, inter- I do a deep interview with people like Howard Schultz of Starbucks mm-hmm. or Tony Shea of Airbnb, uh, of, of Zappos or Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx, um, Kevin Systrom, who founded Instagram. Um, and the idea behind the show is to really get into their head, you know, and, and everyone lives in their own movie, right? That's mm-hmm. basically our consciousness. My, um, what I try to do with how I built this is to take a, 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 a cockpit, to take a seat in the cockpit of that person's brain and to see the world through their eyes and their, and, and to relive the experience and the struggles and the pain and the failure and the evenings and, and the, in the, and the evenings and nights uh, lying on the bathroom floor crying, you know, to, to, to go through that journey with them. So everyone listening can understand that they are no different than you. Right. They are just like you. Right. And, you- and, and they have this, yeah. Well, when you look, when we look at when we look at Starbucks now, we see it as an inevitable success, right? You talk about talking to Schultz. We see it. We see Starbucks what it became. We see what it what the potential is now. And so, when you look back, it all feels inevitable. But hearing the story of their own doubts, their own uh, integral failures in the process, and how they retooled and kept moving, it can help you frame your own life in so many amazing ways. I mean, I, that, that that to me is inspiring. It's, it's totally inspiring. I mean, think about Starbucks for, for a second. When Howard Schultz really came to decide to kind of build this thing up in the mid-1980s, everyone said to him, who is going to pay $1.50 for a cup of coffee? That's insane. <laughs> who is going to who's going to go to a place that only sells coffee and pay that much money? I mean, at that point, there were small little coffee shops in the United States, but not a whole lot of espresso style coffee shops. And by the way, most coffee shops, if they even existed, were places where you would buy coffee beans. Mm -hmm. So that was a really radical idea. Today, it's again, it's the big, I think it's this first or second biggest food chain in the world with more than 20,000 locations. But nobody would have thought that, you know, a lot of people doubted whether that could happen. The reason why I focus so much on failures and setbacks is because that's where we learn about people and that's where we learn how to do things in the right way in our own lives. And so while I'm interviewing incredibly successful people, people who have achieved incredible things, I primarily focus on their moments of failure and and setbacks because I want people to understand not only that they went through it, but how they got out of it. And the hope is, is that the people listening will, will learn from those experiences because I have this incredible access to these people and to their intimate lives. And my role is to share that with my listeners. Right. So this reminds me of, there's an adage I'm very fond of. It's, uh, it, it, it's, I, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, intelligence learns from their mistakes. Genius learns from the mistakes of others. And this is such a great opportunity to, for us all to be geniuses and to learn from the mistakes of people who have obviously overcome that, you know? Um, my, my question to you is, have you, have you noticed a pattern in how the resilience of these, uh, of these, of these high achievers, uh, play out in their lives that we can then apply to ours? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the main point here, Jib, is that with very few exceptions, none of these people are natural born entrepreneurs. I mean, mm-hmm. Mark Cuban is an example of somebody who was born to be an entrepreneur. You know, his dad, and by the way, he grew up 
you know, didn't grow up with, with wealth. His dad was a, a reupholsterer for an auto company. Um, his mother was he had a bunch of odd jobs. He grew up in Pittsburgh, but he bought a book in his teens called How to Retire by Age 35. So he wanted to be a millionaire early, and he was determined to do so. He is the exception. Most of the people I interview really kind of developed the skills and the qualities that you need to become an entrepreneur. And those skills and qualities, some of them are, are obvious. Resilience, um, optimism, persistence, perseverance, um, you know, hard work. But really, the, the thing that I have found with every person I've interviewed is that they all have a capacity to deal with rejection and to keep moving forward. When you're trying to sell something to people, the answer will be no most of the time. When you're trying to persuade investors to invest in your company, most of them initially will say no. And you have to be able to see that rejection and continue to move forward and to plow forward. And it's actually a skill that, that you can develop. A lot of the entrepreneurs I've had on How I Built This started out in sales, just selling stuff door to door and getting doors slammed in their faces or phones slammed back on the dial, you know, back on the, whatever they are. They whatever it is now. We don't, we don't hang up phones anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's a, do it, right. Yeah. Right. But basically dealing with rejection, you know, and, and, and I'll tell you a quick story. This actually, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs, obviously. Um, there have been several Mormon entrepreneurs on the show. Jet, the, the founder of JetBlue, David Neeleman, um, the founder of Atari, Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Kodiak Cakes, Joel Clark. Um, many Mormon entrepreneurs, they, they talk about their ability to deal with rejection in part because many of them go on these missions around the world mm -hmm. to convert you know, folks to, to their faith. And, you know, they're, go, they're, they're knocking on a thousand doors a week and they're getting 900 slams in their face. So they come back after these two year missions and they have to be polite and they have to be gracious. They come back from these missions and they're kind of ready to go. They're ready to, to kind of become entrepreneurs or sales reps because they have had that rejection exposure. And that's really key. And I, a lot of young people say, what should I do when I start out in my career? I say, go get a job in sales. That's yeah. what you should do. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because then because now you are you you condition yourself. I think we are conditioned in with social media and young people nowadays with so many different things to always expect and I see this in my own kids where when you're not successful, you get so discouraged that you then reject the whole notion of the thing. So it's it's either easy for you right away or you quit. And and that is that is a I in my opinion that's one of the most dangerous things that we're putting into kids right now. Um, where they, nobody wants to be seen as failing. And, I, and I, I, I want to start to figure out how to change the mindset. And I think that goes not just for kids, but I see it as a problem because I think it goes kids to adults right now where we kind of need to start to undo that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, I, I have two children, 9 and 11. And like many, many children their age, um, they, uh, you know, they, they are focused on TikTok and, and YouTube and how many likes somebody has. And there's a kid in their class who had a video with a thousand likes and another kid who had 5,000 likes. And um, there, there's a lot of, I, I, and look, it's hard for me to say whether this is a problem or not. My instinct is to be troubled by it. But of course, I'm a, you know, uh, I'm in my forties. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm of a different generation and, and, and younger generations always see things differently. But I, I am 
I am concerned about how, especially younger people today, are are seeking out validation in right. things that um, seem very, very ephemeral and unimportant, and also um, they're not meaningful. They're not real, and I and that really does bother me because that the world is not about that. You know, the world doesn't function that way. The world doesn't function on. Uh, likes, 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 because tomorrow there's there may not be any likes, and you have mm-hmm. to kind of build a, a world where the day-to-day likes don't really matter, don't really matter. And that's one reason, by the way, that I really don't check my social media very often, or I don't <laughs> check the, the comments that I get. Right. Well, you very famously uh, gave out your uh, your phone number on your Instagram at one point, didn't you? I did. Uh, now, it's a little bit of a bait and switch, I'll be honest. It is a is a phone number. It's a text message. Um, it's a company called Community, and they asked me to join, um, you know, as a as a as a user of it. And it's a service where you can text that number, and it really does go to me. Um, but of course, I get a lot of messages, and so I do try to read them all, mm. um, you know, in batches. Um, but I can't respond to all of them, right. but, um, I do really get them and you can still say still on my, on my Twitter account. I still put it up there or well, my I, Instagram or both or like that. Yeah. I, the reason why I bring that up is because when you posted that you, you explicitly said how bad you are at checking your likes and checking back yeah. into your social media. So that's why, so you, so you had to do that. Um, is there any advice that you have? I like, I love the advice of, of going into something where you face rejection. So whether that's Mormon missions or if that's an, or, or getting a job in sales, but there's a lot of people who are past the point of getting that first job, and maybe they're stuck in yep. middle management, and and they can't really they can't really retrain themselves in that explicit way. How do you start yep. to condition yourself uh, for to to face the rejection that we're talking about, and and to more more importantly to persevere and to bounce back from the rejection? Well, I think that people who are sort of mid career, right, who might be feeling like they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, it has that has absolutely to do with fear of rejection or judgment. Um, and most of us, it's a natural instinct. You know, we want to be liked. We want validation. We want approval. The reality is that in order to to make any kind of change, and and I'm not talking about just building a business on your own. I'm talking about even making a change within your own. Uh, company. Let's say you are in middle management at a big company. If you have an idea or or you want to change something or you want to create a new product or you want to see a new way of working, um, that is that is that creates friction. That will create friction. Um, that will create disruption. But anything worth doing or pursuing is going to create disruption and friction. No matter what you propose, if it's something that you believe has to happen, if it's a change that has to happen, you will be judged and you will be, you will, you will experience rejection in that, you know, on the course to, to kind of pursuing that. But if it's worth pursuing, you have to withstand it. It's sort of like, it's not a great analogy, but it's like if you've ever surfed, right. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I've, I've tried it terrible, but if you, to, in order to surf, in order to, to get that payoff of, of, of catching that wave and that that thrill and that that incredible feeling you have to have a lot of waves crash on you until mm-hmm. you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. a lot of waves are going to crash 
steps over you until you get you, until you catch that one. Um, and it's 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 the same thing with rejection. It, it so much of it is a mindset. And I think also I would say that as we get older, it does become a little bit easier because I think as we get older, we start to realize that by and large, most people aren't really thinking about me. They're actually thinking about themselves. Right. Um, and but in order to make a change, in order to do something meaningful, you are inevitably going to create friction. And that's good. Friction is good and necessary and important. That's, I mean, I think that's I'm going to get that tattooed um, uh, on my on my own forehead backwards so I can look at it in the mirror. But fr- friction, <laughs> that's similar to kind of what Ryan Holiday says, where the, the obstacle is the way. Right. When you when yes. you face when you're into the headwind, that's that's the direction you kind of need to be going. Is that something you've seen from from all of the people that you've interviewed or, or at least a, a majority of the people that you've interviewed for how about this? Is that just they once they know they know? Yes. I mean, and here's here's the interesting thing. What I find in, in many cases is that the entrepreneurs who've been on How I Built This are so convicted in their idea because they know that it is a problem that they have and that many other people also have. Mm. And that if they cannot, if they cannot succeed with their idea, then nobody will. I mean, here's an, here's an, here's an example. I interviewed a wonderful entrepreneur in Tristan Walker. He started a company called Walker and son, um, Walker and company. And it, uh, they make a, a razor called the bevel. Um, Tristan is a black man and he struggled with shaving his whole life because um, his hair, like the hair of many black men, is curly. And it grows back into his neck and his face, and it creates um, razor bumps. Mm-hmm. And most razors, like the Gillette Five Blade, no, they're not good for people with very curly hair. They, are actually, they actually shave too close, under the skin, and they actually exacerbate this problem. And he designed and and put out into the world a different kind of razor called the bevel for black and, and brown men, uh, men who have very curly hair. And he had a really hard time getting funding for this and really scaling this product. And I asked him, how did he keep going? What, you know, what was it that kept him going? He said, I knew if I could not bring this out to the world, nobody could, because this idea had to be out there. Mm. I knew so many men who needed this product. And I was determined to, to bring it out. And if I couldn't succeed, nobody would. And that's why I knew I had something. And I love that idea. He, he, he was so convicted in this. Pro- and, and it's a successful product today. It's owned. The company is now owned by Procter & Gamble. But you can find bevel razors at any Target or Walmart or Costco. You know, it's an amazing product. And he did this, you know, despite the challenges he faced. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and right there, I think you, you, you've hit the... Uh, the, what was going to be my next question, which is how do, how do you figure out, how do you find that idea? And to your point, it's, you've got to see the need that you want in your own life. It's unmet by the world. You just have to figure that out and then you can, and then you design around it. Um, which brings exactly. me, which brings me to actually one of my favorite things you've ever said, um, with, with, uh, you, it was on the tonight show, I think, where you talked about why you think curiosity is better than intelligence. Cause I think we think we, to your point earlier, we think of ourselves as being, uh, oriented a certain way, like like I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not as smart as uh, as Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. I'm not as smart. I'm not as uh, much of a go getter as a Mark Cuban. Uh, and 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 w- that that gives us permission to not try. But you think that curiosity is so much more important than than just raw intelligence. 
a thousand percent because exactly what you said, we we are actually our own worst enemies. Sometimes mm. we define ourselves like we say, here's who I am. This is this is what I am. And by the way, um, we it's easy to become defined by that um, in, in our surroundings. This is why I'm so interested in people who've made incredible pivots in their life. This is why earlier before we, we started recording, I was talking about John Tesh because he was a newscaster and then he was this ho- the host of Entertainment Tonight. And then, but really he was a, a, a great piano player. No one knew it. He saw himself as a piano mm-hmm. player. He left, he created an entirely separate career. And some people were like, wait, the guy from Entertainment Tonight's a piano player, but he actually is an incredibly successful, like became incredibly successful. So I love that he was able to do that. And, and really, I think all of us have the capacity to kind of reimagine who we are. You know, this is why I talked about curiosity as a more important um, attribute than intelligence, because I don't think intelligence really does a whole lot for you. I mean, yes, of course, if you're working on the Manhattan Project, having intelligence is going to be helpful if you're going to build a hydrogen bomb, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and but most of us have a baseline of intelligence, right? What, what, what the difference is, is what do you do with it? And curiosity is something we can all just choose to be, to, 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 to kind of uh, um, uh, to pursue. You know, we, we yeah. can all decide to be curious people. You can just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm just going to learn about a bunch of different things that I am not naturally interested in or I'm not naturally I'm drawn to. That's been my secret weapon. You know, I've been able to to live in countries around the world and report from countries around the world and learn about them and meet all kinds of people and cover all kinds of topics from sports to economics to politics to literature and art, things that I wasn't naturally into, mm-hmm. but that have made so much better at what I do because I just simply made the choice to be curious about them. And the more you kind of make that choice to open your mind up, the easier it is to get excited about new ideas and people's stories, which is why I'm able to do what I do on how I built this. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Guy is going to tell us what he thinks is the future of higher education, which uh, you don't want to miss. So stay with us. You you are passionate about stories. I don't know that you're naturally oriented to find that, but you have you have found that passion. I mean, just even in you, you're always looking for a narrative through line. Even in just talking to you before we got started, you just really like to see that. You like to see the way that a story is structured, and which is super important when you're doing when you're doing nonfiction because you have to you have to seek out the uh, you have to seek out the through line, which does is not always so naturally apparent. So you kind of have to find that, and I, and I can absolutely feel that. Just, just in in talking with you, but the the idea that um, that 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 curiosity is more important than intelligence at a time like this, I think, is so powerful for everybody listening, because we have so much access to so much information for free. You can take a whole MIT course right now that was not available even ten years ago for free, right? Yeah. for free, for free, right? So I guess I guess the it's question. Just, yeah. Well, I guess the question becomes, what is the point of going, like, if, if, if so much of this innovation that you've experienced is about, about leaning into the headwind, so much is about uh, being naturally, or finding your own natural curiosity and learning all this stuff for free, uh, are we looking at a future that is, that is college-free? I ask myself that question every month when I contribute to my children's <laughs> 529 account. <laughs> I honestly do. I really do, because 
I, I don't I mean, I think it's a great question to ask. You know, I mean, think about it. I, I remember I went to Monticello one time, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. um, the home he, he built. And the, every book in that house he had read. OK, he was an autodidact. All those guys were autodidacts. Right. But the crazy thing is, is that in the in the late 18th century in the United States, in the English language, you could, in theory, read pretty much everything that was available to read in English and Latin. OK, mm. you could read the entire, um, you know, all of the works that were published by uh, the Romans and the Greeks, and you could read pretty much everything that was in English. You could actually, it was theoretically possible to read everything. And a lot of those people did. Today, of course, it's impossible. There is an infinite amount of information available to us. And so you have to kind of pick and choose what you like. But I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, at, at our fingertips, we have access to this infinite portal of knowledge, you know, um, which is a very new thing. It's also very scary um, in some ways because it's never happened this quickly. And I actually think that one of the reasons why there's so much disruption and so much anxiety and so much um, just imbalance in the world is in part because humans have never experienced this rate of change in, in history. You know, if you think about the Gutenberg press, that happened in you know the 15th century. It took four, three, four, five hundred years before um, you know universal literacy really kind of um, made its way to most of the world. So right. you know there was a village in Germany, and then somebody could read the Bible, and then they passed it on somewhere else, and a few other people could, and then but that created a revolution. I mean that that created a schism in the church and you know wars and religious wars. I mean think about. Snapchat or TikTok <laughs> or Twitter or or I mean, these are much more significant in terms of the, the ability to broadcast information. And they've happened in a very short period of time. I mean, they have empowered people who 10, 15 years ago would never have the ability to to broadcast a message to millions of people. That's very good in some ways. It's very bad in other ways because it also empowers really um, dangerous actors, right, right, in our world. And so we, you know, but go, going back to your question about college, um, it's a hard one to answer. I mean, I, I think there is a future where that model is just not going to work anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think about that a lot. I just, it's hard for me to imagine because I went to college and I, I think that, you know, it's the right thing to do if you can do it. But God, I mean, I'm, I'm often interviewing people who did not go to college or dropped out, and right. clearly for them that that was the right decision. Right. Well, and that's that was going to be that's actually my follow up is that you look at you look at the people who have affected the greatest change uh, in the last really that we're really experiencing the full breadth of right now. So you you can take where we are right now and you can draw stuff all the way back to um, uh, who's the guy that cracked the Enigma code? They made a movie. I can't remember his name. Ben Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh yes. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Right. The um, the the. The, the, the Turing, Alan Turing. And there Alan, you go. Sorry. So you can go all the way back to Turing and sort of and sort of draw a line to the changes that we're experiencing now. But these people, a lot of the people, and Turing obviously was an academic, but the, the people that have made the most recent changes, you're talking about Gates and Jobs and uh, and Zuckerberg, like the, 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 who have really changed the entire uh, timber of our, our, our whole global conversation, uh, they were either college dropouts or, or, or never went. And that... That 
that has to beg certain questions about the way that our society is structured right now in terms of education and information. Because again, if it, it, we really are are uh, are are solving for what we're what we're really as a, like from from a, an evolutionary perspective, like what we are uh, conditioning our society for is is for these curious. Uh, individuals, these these people who are emboldened by this without a formal education or without a traditionally formal education, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, so I mean, uh, what I guess what percentage of your people that you've gotten to interview that have literally changed the world uh, are having a college education, and are you seeing that trend that I'm that I'm talking about? I think probably the majority of the people who've been on the show have had college educations. Mm-hmm. I will say that not the majority of them did not come from the so-called you know, elite universities, um, the Ivy Leagues or the, you know, the Stanford's. I mean, of course, you have we've had some from those places. But I mean, look, Howard Schultz went to like, you know, Western Michigan University. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, it's I just had, um, you know, we just had an episode uh, recently, um, you know, the story of, of the laundress. Well, actually, they went to they went to uh, uh, Cornell, but you know, and then we've had story you know episodes where people dropped out. They didn't they didn't make it through, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's you know ultimately every every person has sort of has their own journey, right? And so for some of them, university was the right choice, um, and for others, it it wasn't. It wasn't the natural fit, and 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 for others you know, where they went actually didn't really matter. You know, mm. the, the founder of, of Ring, um, Jamie Siminoff, he wasn't a good student in high school at all. He was just a really great tinkerer. He always took took things apart, and he ended up going to Babson Business College, which is a perfectly fine school, but not, you know, it's not MIT, and it's not, it's not even sort of one of the more prestigious, you know, colleges in, in the Boston area. But he, you know, he turned this little doorbell ringer into a billion-dollar business. So, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm really big on the on the people and not on their credentials because I right. think credentials are often overrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, what I what I want is for this to be empowering for people who feel like what you just said. Like I didn't go to the right schools. I didn't. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the right X, Y, or Z. I don't have time. I've got you know small children i don't have time to go to business school like that's that is that is good but it's at, at this point in our society it's not necessary it's not what's standing between you and your goals no which no. which is and so empowering way, yeah 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 and by the way if you didn't go to business school you don't need to go you just need to listen to how i built this or read <laughs> my book and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that to be a pitch man i'm saying that because that's really how i see the show it's right. it's free education the book is 20 bucks but you know, it is free. It is. It is. It, it really is what how business schools teach. They teach th- through the case study method. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you read the story of, of of how somebody started a business and certain decisions they made and inflection points. And we do the same thing. I think we do a better job at it than a lot of business schools do, um, because we have great producers and and you know we we are able to really tell a great story. And you, it's you are very good at seeking out story. But keep thank going. You. Thank you. But that's what that's what our show is for. It's it's to say, don't worry if you don't have these credentials. You will be able to listen and learn from all these people. And by the way, you know, the idea of not having a network and not having access to 
um, uh, you know, this and that. That's that. That's not untrue. I don't want to devalue that, but I do want to say that it's really overrated. You know, I mean, I think of Dave Anderson, who who founded Dave's uh, famous Dave's Barbecue. He's a Native American. He grew up with no money. Mom and dad in Chicago, working class family. Um, he just he was a hustler. He started selling uh, flower terrariums, plant terrariums, when he was younger, and he met um, you know through a friend of a friend met some guy who just thought he was a, a you know a, 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 a motivated young man and said you should join the local chamber of commerce and he did and then he met other people and soon enough he was building a network through the people he was meeting by the sheer force of his you know his hard work and, and his personality and just being nice and friendly um, that goes a long way you know having having the ability or, or developing the ability to talk to people to ask questions, to just put yourself out there, to go to, there's tons of, every city has networking events. I mean, obviously in COVID times, it's a little different, but right. every place has has startup networking events. Every every town has, has clubs. Um, there are so many opportunities if you really wanna do something at any point in your life to do it. I really believe that. I think it's within reach for everybody. You you talk about this idea you mentioned just now of of tacking on an inflection point of of chain of these these points in our lives that when you look back you go oh that was the moment of a big change and one of the things that COVID has has made really apparent to a lot of people right now uh, is that whatever you had your stock in before whatever you had your your faith in whatever you had your yeah, uh, you're sort of like okay I'm going to do this job and then I'm going to retire in 20 years oh, that's been disrupted for so many people. If you've ever had an idea, if you've ever thought that you wanted to do something, this is an inflection point. You've been, we, we can, you know, there's a lot of bad going on right now, but we can take this as a good and say this is, this is a time when all of us should be sort of reevaluating, reeducating ourselves and finding where that headwind is, I think. A hundred percent. I think, Chip, I think in five years time, a lot of the businesses I have on how I built this are businesses that will have been created during this economic right. crisis. right. Because, and this happened, by the way, in 2008, um, a lot of people were laid off and a lot of those people started Etsy shops or, you know, e-commerce stores. And, and, and many of them have done very well. You know, the most successful businesses in America are not the, um, the name brand usual suspects. They are small businesses. You know, a, a, a good small business with good cash flow and, uh, you know, a health, healthy margins is a much better business than Uber, which has zero profit. Right. Right. Um, you know, and I and I say that a lot because you can you can actually have you can actually create an incredibly valuable enterprise um, on a small scale with just five employees or three employees or, or even just you. I mean, I think when I think about the people who listen to the show, who, who, who hopefully will, will will pick up the book, the how I built this book. I think of people who have Etsy shops. I think of people who have an e-commerce store, who have just a handful of employees who are applying these techniques and ideas to their businesses because it doesn't matter if you've got 10,000 employees or, or two employees or one or none. The principles are the same. You know, it's just you're scaling it up as you get bigger. But the basic principles of what to do when things go haywire, um, how to build resiliency, how to, you know, improve what you do, um, how to 
you know, how to build networks. They're all, it's all the same. The principles are all the same, whether you're big or small. And the book, again, How I Built This, link to where to buy it in the show notes. I'll also put a link to my favorite show, Wow in the World, and, uh, and to the podcast, uh, How I Built This. But I have a, a, you, you're starting a new show, Wisdom from the Top. How is this different from How I Built This? Well, Wisdom from the Top is a show, and actually we're, we're, we're uh, it launched um, on Luminary, which is a, a really terrific podcast platform. Um, and it is a show about leadership. So, you know, how I built this, we only focus on founders of companies, people who really like started in a garage, right? And then went and figured out how to take this idea from their brain into, out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisdom from the Top is about, people who manage companies and manage um, huge organizations. So we've had on General Stanley McChrystal and General David Petraeus and Sylvia Matthews Burwell, who ran the biggest or second biggest federal agency in the U.S., the Health and Human Services Agency. We've had the CEOs of Target and of Best Buy and uh, Melinda Gates. So it's really, um, it's a show about really great leaders, people who run big companies like Continental Airlines and Lou Gerstner of IBM, you know, really legendary former CEOs, business leaders, military leaders, government officials who led huge organizations. And it's about how you manage through crisis, because at some point, every leader will face a crisis. Right now, every corporate and nonprofit and business leader is facing a crisis. Yes. We are in the midst of an enormous crisis. This is a challenge, challenging time, and this will test the qualities of any leader. And so Wisdom from the Top is really designed to help all of us think about leadership, because I don't believe that leadership is, is an assigned role. Mm-hmm. I think that leadership is also something you choose to, to be at any level uh, of, of where you are in your, in your company. You know, I talk about this with my team. Um, you don't have to have a title to be a leader. If you are a producer on my show, um, you are leading younger people and, and less experienced people who don't know um, who don't know how to do what you can do. You are there to teach and to mentor, and that's leadership. And so I really, you know, it's another thing that I really have learned a lot about in the last few years and have dived into. And we're yearning for leadership. It's mm-hmm. something that many of us are yearning for. And so one of the things that I try to talk about on the show, well, the main thing I try to talk about is how do we, how do we be our best, how do we be the best version of ourselves? How can we elevate our own internal leadership and what can we learn from great leaders and apply to our own lives? I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And I think we all, I I agree with you. We all need that. And to your point, I say this all the time too, even if you're not the CEO of a company, you have a sphere of influence. You have a you have a group of people that even if it's just yourself, you are a leader for yourself and you, you can apply the same principles of leadership to your own life and to your own schedule and to your own day in, day out stuff. So I'm a big fan yep. of that notion. I, I know your time is valuable and we are wrapping up here. I, there's two questions I have left. Uh, one is, and uh, one is where, how can people follow up with you, Guy Raz? And I now know why, uh, why Mindy does it. I totally get why people just say, why she just says Guy Raz. So <laughs> where can people follow up? She says my name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can follow up with me. Um, it's hard for me to answer personal queries just because of the amount I, uh, I get and also the, just the, the grind of the, the day. And I just like to spend time with my kids, too, if I, when I can. <laughs> but um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm guy.raz, G-U-Y dot R-A-Z. My, my website is uh, dot com. How I built this dot com. 
you can also find the book there um, and order it there. It's also available on Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, you can find me on Twitter, and I'm at, at Guy Raz, no dot there, just G-U-Y-R-A-Z. Links to the websites, the Instagram, and the Twitter account in the show notes. You can just click those and follow up with Guy Raz. One last question, and I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? There's one thing. It's so simple. It's so powerful. I hope other guests have said this, and I'm sure they have. It's so true. Just be kind. Yeah. I know it's a cliche. I know it's overwrought, overused. It's so simple. If we can be kind to each other, it doesn't mean we're always going to be kind. We're gonna, we are going to have days where we're honking our horns at people and we're getting irritated in line at the grocery store when that per, one person's just taking forever. But if we can try, if we can use that as our North Star, just to be kind, it is going to make things so much better. We, we are in a crisis in this country. We're in a health crisis, an economic crisis. Um, a social justice crisis. We need to come together. This country is really divided. We need to come together. And kindness is step number one. It's mm. not hard. It's it's a choice we can all make. It's it's not hard. It, well, it can be hard, but <laughs> but fight, fight. You got to fight to be kind. And so I would say, please try to be kind. I love that. Be kind. Uh, I, and it is it is absolutely something that I've heard. Kind, kindness and gratefulness uh, are two things that I have heard, uh, it, it, that I've learned in, in the pattern of the people I've interviewed as being two of the most important things that we can all make the choice to be every single day. Guy Raz, I just want to appreciate, I just appreciate your time so much. I feel like, do you remember when uh, Chris Farley used to do the Chris Farley show as a segment on SNL where he would have celebrities and he would sit there and interview them and he would, uh, he would be like, remember when you were in the movie? That was a, that's how I feel right now. I feel like I'm doing the Chris uh, Farley show right now. I'm such a huge fan of yours. Thank, thank you so you. much. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been fun. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. It makes a big difference for us. Uh, John, you were on Facebook, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We're there all the time. We are. Actually, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if you want to join us at 9 o'clock Pacific, we are doing an exercise program with Prima Tesh. It's just like 12 minutes long, and you can get fit. Yes. And then there's a, we, have a, we have a whole other thing. You can go to PrimaWorkout.com and you can subscribe to get, uh, to get as fit as humanly possible with Prima. But we are there. We do shtick. We do a lot of we, – we, we work out. It's a good time. So check that out. That's, again, at Facebook.com slash John Tesh. John is also on Twitter, at John Tesh. On Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention and every DM about the show. And sometimes you guys give me guested ideas. We've had some of those guests on the show because uh, because I do this for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.